Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host for most of these programs. Now, we hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are. There are reasons to look for an imminent end to this pandemic, and we look forward to seeing you in person once again when it is safe at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we're continuing to do all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 430 online programs the club has produced just since the beginning of this pandemic. You can find all of our programs, our past and future ones, as well as podcasts and video from our past events at commonwealthclub.org. Thank you for joining us for today's program. It's a different kind of Michelle Miao show. Over more than a decade, Michelle has interviewed thousands of people, ranging from drag queens to movie stars to pastors to elected government officials. But today we're turning the tables, and I will be interviewing my co-host and friend, Michelle. Michelle Miao is the producer and host of The Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. In December, she began to experience something out of the blue, and it has been with her ever since. She recently went public with it, and today we're going to go in-depth on her experience and the condition known as alopecia areata that affects nearly 7 million Americans. So, Michelle Miao, welcome to the Michelle Miao Show. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. Oh, I love that. Um, well, I guess for the purpose of today, it's the John Zipper Show. <laughs> <laughs> well, take us back to December, because in December, I think it was a little before Christmas, you sent me a text that you were losing your hair. So tell us what happened. How, what was that like? Yes, two days before Christmas. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, kudos to you. You made it. You made it to the end of the year. It's Christmas. Then it'll be New Year's. And so you have a couple of weeks to just just relax. Just give yourself a pat on the back that you made it and you're alive. Um, I was in the shower and we had plans to go to Golden Gate. They, were, they had all the, uh, the light installation at Golden Gate Park. Um, and a big Ferris wheel that was not moving <laughs> at the time. And I, I was just excited. I was feeling excited. We're going to go do something fun um, and outdoors. And, and I, as I'm washing myself, it actually uh, was, um, I noticed large amounts of hair fall out like very easily, not in my head, but other parts of my body. And it, it felt like I had a magic erase, um, the magic eraser thing. Uh, and and I'm, I'm just cleaning myself and it was just like, yeah, coming all out. Um, so I screamed for my wife and it was like, I think this is, this is odd because, you know, the hair's not even, it doesn't hurt. It's nothing. It's just coming off. And, um, you know, she joked, she was like, you know, you're lucky because women spend so much money getting rid of hair in those parts. So maybe this is a gift from God, like Christmas came early for you. Uh, but no, it was alarming. And so I wrote my doctor. So when a nurse called me back, uh, and it was just a few hours later and said, are you losing hair in your head? I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, so I gently tugged, you know, it was on the side. And, and it just all came off. Whatever I was gently tugging all came off. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but seven days later, I lost nearly 80% of my hair. So head, body, all of it. Um, we have a, a bit of a video from those early days. And, and uh, if our 
AV folks could maybe run that video now. Let's go with video one. What are we seeing here, Michelle? So by that moment, this is, yeah, that's a week later. Um, I had to just shave it all off, whatever was left. Because, well, when I knew that, you know, it was all coming off anyway, there was no part of my body where I was tugging or, you know, that I that it wasn't coming off. So, um, and then, and then also it was really painful. My scalp was inflamed. It felt like a million needles just poking me. Uh, and, and so everything was super sensitive and I felt my mental health deteriorate at a very, you know, scary pace. I became like obsessed with what was wrong with me. I was trying to figure things out. It was on Google all the time. And I don't recommend Googling. And I know that doctors say that all the time. Like don't Google when things are wrong because you come up with a bunch of stuff, whether they're accurate or not. Uh, but yeah, I, I just got to a place where I knew that I was not okay mentally. And so shaving the rest off and just acknowledging that this was happening, um, and it was happening to me and being okay with it. After I shaved the rest off, I, f I immediately felt better. I needed a day to, to sleep. I was exhausted and I was experiencing, you know, these panic attacks. Um, but I, but after shaving it, I just felt completely liberated. And it was a point where I acknowledged what was going on. Let's talk a bit about what you learned about alopecia. Um, as I said, I mean, from what I know, and again, from looking online, you know, about 6.8 million people in the U.S. <clears throat> excuse me, are affected by it. Um, and for most people, it's not a dramatic loss of all hair. It's mostly, you know, these patches that will be coming off the head. Um, but you had an extreme case. So what, what have you learned about it? What uh, do you know about it? What, what can you tell people who either have it and they're looking to find out more or uh, people who had never heard about it before you? I brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. My case was extreme and the dermatologist acknowledged that, um, you know, some people, they experience it earlier than later. So it was kind of interesting that I experienced this at 38 years old. At the time I was 30, I'm 39 now. Um, you know, some people, especially if you've got alopecia universalis, which is hair loss, all over your body, your head, your eyebrows, your eyelashes, all of it, that's uni uh, universalis. You've experienced that at a very young age. Um, so, so that was one that I knew, okay, like why is it so sudden for me? Uh, which the dermatologist couldn't really answer. And to be honest with you, it was very disheartening to hear the dermatologist kind of just say, you know, it, it happens. You probably have a family history of autoimmune diseases because that's what, you know, alopecia is. Um, so this thing where it mistakenly attacks your hair follicles. And, and um, you know, I think the biggest support for me wasn't necessarily my doctors. You know, my regular family doctor who kind of didn't really she was not processing it fast enough for me. And I get it was during a holiday. Uh, it was, it was during the holidays and also a pandemic, but, but even she was slow to like, say, you know, let's go get some blood work done to see if there's anything related to this. Were you seeing the doctor in person or was this all being done by FaceTime or? Yeah. Telehealth. Uh, it was all telehealth. 
So even seeing the dermatologist and she was having connection problems. So she really only saw my scalp for like, I don't know, two minutes. And then we went by phone. So, I mean, sure. They, you know, they go to school for this stuff. I trust them. So whatever she had diagnosed me with, which was alopecia areata, uh, I believe her. I believe her. Um, but what have I learned? I mean, you know, the doctor said that, you know, stress isn't necessarily related to the triggers, but I refute that uh, because to me, I would have to say that I was under an incredible amount of stress, more than I've ever been, more than humanly possible, especially during a pandemic. Um, and also like leading up to the actual hair loss, I was going through, the, you know, these, these well, I, I, I think they're panic attacks. You know, I still don't actually really know if that's what they would call it, but increased heart rate, can't breathe. Um, yeah, feeling, yeah, panicky, right? So a few days before I, I noticed the hair loss, like that was what was going on um, for me. And um, I, know, I, I know now that there's no cure for it. And, you know, it's an autoimmune disease. So if left untreated, uh, so if you're not taking better care of yourself, like getting sleep, exercise, changing your diet, that's less of an, um, you know, that could lead to more inflammation to your body than it could lead to other diseases. Uh, and so that makes sense to me, my family, my dad's side of the family. I mean, my aunt, you know, passed away from complications of lupus, um, which is an autoimmune disease. And then, uh, then learning that there's no cure for it, <laughs> Right. Uh, so there's a reason why there's Rogaine out there. And and if you do go uh, and use the Rogaine, you have to use it forever because when you stop using it, um, you know, you're, you continue to lose hair. And I also learned that the hair can grow, can grow back, but it's not a guarantee that it stays. You can continue experiencing episodes for the rest of your life. So there's a lot to dig into that. Um just from the aspect of, of stress, and, and, and you're right, what I've read as well is that they're, they're saying the research does not support it, but at least from, uh, as I understand, you, you, you were talking with some other folks in a support group on this. What were they telling you about their experience with stress? So the dermatologist was like, look, go to the National Alopecia Areata Foundation's website, and there's some stuff there that you could read. So I was like, thank you. I will do that. Um, but it's a great website and, and a foundation. They've got lots of support groups um, and, you know, information around clinical studies. That's where I learned a lot more about our alopecia areata. Uh, but a lot of folks who are going through the same thing, which saved me, I think it did really did save me from, you know, what I was talking about, my mental health situation and speaking to other people who are going through it. They absolutely talk about some really major stressful situations in their life that triggered, you know, hair loss. So it made me feel less, you know, crazy and validated what I was going through. Um, I can also ex ex understand how, obviously there's going to be research going on in this all the time about it, but I can also understand how your, your level of stress, your mental state, your, the stuff that's going on in your life can certainly impact once you've had this episode that's been triggered, how you deal with it, like you said, whether or not you're taking care of yourself, what you're trying to do to take to get rid of it. Um, you said you were you leading up to this, you were having basically panic attacks. What happened afterwards? 
you know, it was all around the height of the, the increase of COVID infections, new infections, right? We, we, we jumped to like millions of new infections. And so some folks were telling me that I had COVID. And I mean, so I got tested not once, not twice, but three times and tested negative. And then, you know, people would say, okay, yeah, but you know, the tests are faulty. So you probably have COVID, but the tests are just faulty, you know, um, stuff like that. So I, I really was thinking about it, these panic attacks in a way and relating them to COVID-19. So checking myself, do I have a sore throat? Do I have a fever? Um, am I, am I getting sick? And, and so I didn't necessarily have those types of symptoms, but, um, I felt my, my chest was heavy. I, I felt off, to be honest with you. It almost felt like, uh, like, you know, I was feeling dizzy, like I couldn't walk. And so on top of the irregular heartbeats and not being able to breathe. And within a matter of a couple of days is when I started, you know, to lose my hair. So that's all I can explain physically. Um, before that, when we're talking about stress, right? No, I could not sleep. I, I stopped working out. We were, we were working out a little bit in our tiny apartment in downtown Oakland, but we felt bad for the folks who lived underneath us. So we stopped working out. Um, and and I think everything else just became super stressful, like just to operate your daily life. And you're constantly paranoid and thinking, am I going to get COVID-19? Or is my family member going to get COVID-19? And what am I going to do if I lose a family member to COVID-19? And I ended up losing, you know, not one, but two family members to COVID-19. And that process, trying to be there for my family was really hard. I mean, we all lived through a lot in 2020, but some people lived through it differently and some people had impacts on it uh, that were worse than others. I mean, there was the pandemic, there were the racial justice upheavals, uh, economic crisis, a very vicious presidential election, um, the isolation people were feeling. You, you, touch, you just touched on some of it, but take us through your 2020. And you, know, you, you said you were just kind of congratulating yourself for getting through the year, um, what were the, the, I don't want to get too confidential, but I mean, just what were the, the low points for you that were really weighing on you and, and were maybe setting you up for your body to, to kick you in the stomach? <laughs> yeah. Well, January, um, so my wife, we were going through the documentation process. She's from Thailand and she finally gets a green card, but it had an error on it, said that she was male, she's female. And um, so we had to send the card right back and you have to go through another process. And we all know, you know, the all of the departments of the United States of America, especially during the previous administration, had been under a lot of stress. Um, and so moving at a much slower pace, when we had to send the card back, she was devastated. She hasn't seen her family in a few years. The only way that she could get out of the country was to get this, this stamp on her passport. Um, and so she went to Thailand, and then we were hearing the reports of COVID-19 out in Asia. And I, at the time, uh, Thailand was right behind China. 
in highest infection. And I think that was like at 60 known cases at the time. Um, and so the airports, when the airports started shutting down, I asked her to come back home early because the stamp had an expiration date and she hadn't gotten her, her, you know, corrected green card. And right before she was due to fly back, I get an email from USCIS that says that she's been denied the new green card. I, I had no idea what that meant other than she's not getting a new green card. I totally thought that that meant that they were not giving her status. And that was so scary. It was so, it was super hard. Um, but our now vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, who was then Senator of California stepped in, um, and was able to get her a green card. However, by the time my wife got to the United States, she was all prepared, the masks, the face shield, and she realized that nobody here was wearing them. And it was super confusing to her. We almost got a divorce, her going back to Thailand, because she said, I just don't think that you're able to take care of me or keep us alive during a pandemic. And this was right around the time that the CDC was saying that, you know, don't go out and buy masks. Don't wear a mask. It's not effective. Um, and my reasoning for not wanting her to wear a mask, regardless of what the CDC was saying, was because of the racial stuff. And we we were already seeing Asians being, you know, beaten up on BART um, for those reasons and being spit on and kicked, you know, being called uh, a virus or a disease. And, and, and looking back, it's like, I can't even believe that that's how I was rationalizing all of this is that, Hey, it's better to not get beat up. So just don't protect yourself. Um, so there, there, that's, I think like at the very beginning of what would be a very stressful moment of not, you know, only, I mean, not only trying not to get COVID-19, but also having to stay alive um, and staying safe as Asians. For those of you just joining us, uh, we're talking about the uh, alopecia areata, excuse me. Um, and one resource you might want to check out is the National Alopecia Areata Foundation. It's actually headquartered uh, not too far from us. It's over in San Rafael, California. And you can find it online at naaf.org. They're also on, of course, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, one of our, our audience members uh, writes, uh, thank you for sharing your story. I also lost hair, not much, from stress over the last year. Also lost a bunch of weight, which affected the hair. Um, and you've been now in, in touch with other people who have, who have gone through or are going through this. Um, you're, on the other hand, very much in the public eye. And you have been for a long time, you know, uh, hosting the SF Pride uh, uh, parade uh, broadcast, and and uh, obviously your video and your your tele your radio podcast. Um, what what was going through your mind as far as not just all those personal feelings and and concerns you had, but how do I present myself? How do I talk about this? So if you could talk a bit about that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, it was only, you know, two weeks before we already had a program scheduled for the Commonwealth Club. So notifying you was one of the things I was like, what would I say and how would he respond? Or is it kind of weird that I think he would respond 
um, you know, other than it's going to be okay, whatever you, however you want to present yourself, we're for it. Uh, I mean, when I got that text from you, it, it made me cry and I thought about it in a different way. It was like, of course, John would respond in this way. But I think being an LGBTQI person really helped because I've always existed outside of the binary. And so, you know, the LGBTQ community, our survival, our identity is around um, not existing in what's socially constructed as male or female uh, and or what's, you know, heteronormative. Um, so that was a savior. So to me, it was like, okay, if I have no hair, it doesn't matter. Uh, and if I want hair there, I can just go get hair. I can, you know, go wig shopping, which I did in, in preparation for our first program in 2021. And that experience, I realized that it was also difficult. One, the racial aspect around it. Um, there was a wig shop right down the street from us uh, owned by Koreans. And, you know, most of the customers are black, black women. Um, so talking to the customers, black women really helped who really understood, you know, um, women and, and uh, connection to, to hair and how to navigate, right. Choosing the right wig. Uh, but I learned from that experience that there aren't a lot of wigs, um, for men or at least short hair. And then speaking with the Korean, um, shop owner, I mean, I basically had to describe to her, like, I want to look like K-pop. And she was like, <laughs> yeah, she was like, um, well, are you going to a party? It's like, no, I'm not <laughs> going to a party. Uh, I just don't want long hair or I, that's not what I look. This is what I look like. I, I had to do the whole thing. I lost my hair. Um, so I, I learned a lot about the, the wig industry as well and just kind of how gosh, we're failing in so many different areas of our livelihood as human beings and how we want to represent ourselves. Um, but yeah, in the end, like the physical presentation wasn't too much of a worry for me. Uh, what was more of a worry for me was I didn't know what was going on with me. It just was so weird that all this hair was falling off and I, you know, I tried to get a blood panel or you know, work done and my doctor didn't want to pursue it right away. I just felt like, what if my insides are rotting and you don't know, you know, like I needed to know, or what if I have, you know, cancer or something much more than that? And we don't know. But once I knew that, Hey, this is a thing, alopecia, your hair falls out, your immune system attacks the hair follicles. Sometimes the hair grows back. Then it was like, okay, I can handle this. I can handle this. And you did. And you did wear a wig on a number of our programs. And then at some point you decided, no, you, you, you took off the wig. And this was a little while ago. Take us through that. Yeah, I took off the wig not too long ago. I think it was just a couple of weeks ago when we did a women's history special with the Honorable Malia Cohen, the Honorable Fiona Ma, and uh, Stephanie Romeliotis, um, who's a high power political consultant here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Actually, she worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign. That's right. It felt right. You know, it felt like the right program for that moment. And I had been trying to get uh, Representative Ayanna Presley on the program, and, and uh, there was just so much going on. Um, 
politically, <laughs> at least since, yeah, the beginning of the year that we just could not make it happen. And I noticed that my hair was growing back a little bit. So I wanted to make sure that I'm able to talk about this um, before, if, if my hair does indeed grow back more and it stays, that I didn't have the chance to really be open about it. Because the biggest thing and the reason why I want to share this is, you know, I think I think a lot of us downplayed just how stressful it was, just how horrible this pandemic was. And the fact that we were, as human beings, completely unprepared for this pandemic, even if the signs you know, were there, even if scientists were talking about, you know, that the world was going to experience this pandemic, which I think there will be more, um, you know, if we don't pay attention now, how we take care of each other, how we're supposed to create systems that actually keep us healthy, uh, you know, how are we going to get past another pandemic? Um, so don't think that, you know, whatever you're going through, if your body's telling you you're stressed, you're not feeling well, uh, don't discount it by saying like it could be worse. Um, you know, listen to yourself. Because yes, it's true. You know, the world, society, billionaires and tech innovators couldn't take care of us, couldn't figure this out for us. Well, I think it probably helped a lot of folks who have questions about this when you started appearing without the wig. Um, it made me feel a little strange because I thought there's only room for one bald person on this show. <laughs> I thought maybe I should uh, get a Michelle Meow wig. What do you think? Oh my gosh. Do I have First it on wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll experiment. We can start a band. <laughs> it's going to be a K-pop band, I guess. How, what was it like? What questions did your family have when, when you were talking about it with them? Oh, when great they... question. Yeah. My mom was freaking out and, um, you know, we were not seeing my parents for obvious reasons, pandemic, and she didn't care. She was like, if I get COVID, I get COVID, but I have to see you. I have, I, I cannot see you. Um, so she drove up and, you know, we did the best. We, I opened all the windows, can't hug me, but she needed to see me. Um, she called, she called monks in Laos, her native uh, country to pray. She called monks in Stockton at the uh, Lao Cambodian Thai temples. One monk in Laos, you know, they, they were doing the, this ritual online to help me. And he came up with something. And she was so excited. She's like, I, I, this, this is a grand monk. And, and uh, you know, we have a solution and you can get it at Costco. So, okay, like you got to, we got to go to Costco and get this thing. And so I'm thinking, you know, what could it be? Like, is it a plant, you know, lucky plant? She's, she wrote it down. She's like, it's spelled E-N-S. I look at the piece of paper in her scribbles. It was insure. <laughs> um, you and your wife have been, you've been applying some, some, some uh, substances and such. I want to basically have you explain it. But we, we have a, another short video. And maybe if we could uh, show that and then you can talk a bit about what you're doing. Anchan tea and uh, guava leaves. There's a tingling sensation like a mint, but it's not that. 
So what was she doing there? <laughs> so she brewed um, guava, guava leaves and butterfly pea tea leaves, which you can, you, I think there are some tea shops that you can get here, but for hers, she had uh, from Thailand. Um, and so, you know, she was like, this promotes hair growth. Right? Okay. You know, and every time I get out of the shower, I would spray it on. But, um, oh, I, this picture here is at a funeral for one of my cousins who passed away from COVID-19. And it's a long process. It's, you know, many hours. I did not wear my wig, but a lot of people thought that they didn't recognize me. Like my family members did not recognize me. So they were like, they thought I was the real deal. They thought I was a real, uh, you know, Buddhist nun. So they were so like, wow, I can't believe like the real deal came to, you know, so-and-so's funeral. Um, anyway, I just wanted to make note of that, that <laughs> until I pulled my mask off, it was like, no, it's just me, you know, because, <laughs> um, yeah. So wife, yes, she has been amazing. And I, I don't think I could have done this without her i obviously couldn't have yeah my the worst fear for me was like if something really truly was wrong with me that i would be leaving her in this new country that she lives in now and she would not know what to do and and who would be there to support her and yeah you just start thinking stuff i mean yes my family loves her um but you know you just never know when you leave you leave the planet um, anyway, she's also done stuff like help me with the diet. So it was transitioning to an anti-inflammatory diet for two weeks, two to three weeks. We did a no gluten, no soy, you know, non-GMO diet, no sugar, no processed food. Um, so she helped me through that process. No caffeine. And, um, now where she's at is she's, she's using Vicks Vapor Rub because the menthol kind of mocks what a cooling cap would do if you lost your hair uh, from chemo. Um, so kind of, you know, wakes up your follicles into thinking it's got to grow back because you're cold. <laughs> and I think, I think it works. I don't know, but you know, I'm starting to get some fuzz. This is, I guess, three months, four months since the, uh, the, the episode. So yeah, that's this picture here. We were in Tahoe for her birthday and that was after a week of using Vicks Vapor Rub. And so the only way that I can process it, I'm not saying that I'm a doctor and this is all factual, is that we were a, a, in a place with cool air, we were with nature and Vicks Vapor Rub. <laughs> um, it, it is interesting when, when dealing with hair loss, in particular on the head. I mean, for obviously for a lot of men, it's it's a... It's something they, they want to avoid and they will go out of their ways to either try to regrow their hair or, or disguise the loss of it or something. Um, but certainly a, in many cultures, of course, if not all, most, I don't know, um, you know, for women, it's very, very rare. And uh, you, you talked earlier a bit about being part of the LGBTQ community that you're, you're kind of already used to stepping outside that. But did you still feel any any particular attachment to the the full head of hair beyond that you that was maybe different from if you had some other malady like uh, arthritis or something like that you know i think to answer that question honestly i mean hair mattered to me because of my mom 
when I first came out to my mom, um, you know, she knew I was, or when I came out, it was because of a haircut. So I was growing up, my mom loved that I looked like a very traditional, you know, loud young woman. I had long black hair and just looked the part, right? So my, my mom's mind, she's like, oh yes, she's going to marry you know, somebody successful, like a doctor or a lawyer, she's going to have two or three kids and a great home. I mean, that was what my mom wished for me. So cutting my hair, uh, you know, the first time I did that in college, I came home. I still remember the look on her face. Like she looked as if I died. She was so sad. She was so sad that I cut my hair, cropped it out. Um, so when I started losing my hair, my mom, you know, was freaking out. She was, she was telling me like, don't go to the grocery store, you know, don't go out in public, like maybe wear your wig if, we, if uh, you know, we were going to go to the temple or something like that. So it was still kind of there where my, my mom has this attachment, you know, to my hair. Um, so it made me even more like, you know what, mom, people are super supportive. People should know that this is happening. This is, it just, I guess I, I felt more empowered, you know, shaving it all off and then not having any hair. And then I sent her a, a parody video, Sinead O'Connor's, um, nothing compares to you. Uh, so I think at that point then I realized that there's something about, letting go and not having an attachment to something that is incredibly liberating, which has been every queer person's experience where you constantly like come out and let it go. You're not harboring, you know, these negative feelings about not being, not being included or not being a part of uh, a society that's not safe for you. You know, another aspect of this is, is kind of this, I can say it's a common human assumption that the default setting is perfection of our bodies. You know, no physical deformities, no mental illnesses, no conditions or ailments. But of course, as we go through life, we kind of realize that nearly all of us either discover or develop something that we'd rather not, whether it's cancer or MS or autism, in my case, epilepsy. Um, others, you know, Michael J. Fox has, has obviously been, he was famous before this, but the way he's dealt with uh, learning at Parkinson's when he was 29, um, or alopecia. Um, does uh, I've you occasionally will when you're reading or hearing people who have kind of been talking about something they've they've they that has happened to their body or that that has always been there that's that's they wish wasn't. Um, often there, there's almost a sense of their bodies betraying them. Um, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this. We're not on the same side, apparently. Has this condition changed your view of yourself at all? Knowing that this is there's no cure for it, and you'll live with this in one way or another for the rest of your life. I'm definitely proud of being able to overcome, you know, the fear that I had when it was first happening, and to quickly be resilient. But again, I, I attribute that all to being an LGBTQI person, and that always having to be my mental, you know, space uh, or emotional space. Like you've just got to overcome it. You got to keep going. And, you know, you're, you're owed space in this world. You deserve to be here. You deserve to be you. Um, so if anything, right, like letting go of the hair kind of let me see myself 
for the first time ever. Like I actually could see my face. And before I really couldn't, you know, I just never really um, paid attention to certain features of my face. So physically speaking, I was able to see my face for the first time, but like emotionally and mentally and personally, spiritually, I really was able to see myself and then understand my strength um, and recognize that this is, this all means so much uh, during a pandemic. And also, you know, the biggest takeaway for me is realizing that, okay, yeah, there are smarter people out there than you. There are doctors, there are researchers, there are scientists, right? But the antidote or, or a, uh, you know, Chief Bill Scott said this the other day at an anti-Asian rally, um, hate is the virus, love is the vaccination. And, it, and it's just so basic, right? Um, but in my opinion, I think the, the vaccination or or I think a cure to what we're experiencing right now is, um, yes, it's love, but we have to go beyond that. It can't just be like fluff, a fluff word. That if we were to rebuild our systems after this pandemic, you people really have to think about, you know, humans, what do we need? What do we actually need? Um, and I'll tell you, I can't, I can't get over the fact that like my doctors didn't think to include mental health in the care plan. Then knowing that, you know, my mental health was going to be affected immediately. And for the most part, seeing that I was writing them emails in the middle of the night, obviously freaking out, uh, you know, and so it just made me think about how we're treating people. Yeah, I, I want to talk more about that. Someone writes, one of our viewers writes, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us, Michelle. You have always been a resilient, powerful soul, and today is another testament of that. Um, and I, it, it, I think you're, you're, you're always have had this ability to show yourself as a human. You know that yes, you're a television personality, and and you, you're you're you know you're on TV every week, and and you've spoken before thousands and thousands of people. But um, you know you're human. You struggle with real issues, and and. Today here and, and you know talking about this is I think more of that, and oftentimes you know people don't want to deal with mental health issues and and you know mental wellness and, and stuff like that, and uh, every so often I mean we're increasingly I think I hope seeing more and more people especially people in the public eye, um, athletes uh, others who are coming out and saying, you know I played that entire season, you know totally depressed, you know, one step away from just trying to, you know, end it all or whatever. And thank God I didn't. And, and, and so they start to put their efforts into kind of communicating and, and helping others understand that kind of like before we were talking about how sometimes our bodies betray us. Sometimes our minds aren't where we want them to be either. That's normal. That's, that's human. Um, so let's talk about the mental health aspect and, and obviously the, the, what you went through last year and, and, how you deal with it. Hmm. I, I wish I could say that, you know, I'm seeing a therapist, but I'm not. Um, I stopped seeing a therapist a few years ago uh, because it became costly. And I, and my service provider, you know, you, you, you go through so many different steps and 
I didn't want to get into a place where my only options were to see a psychiatrist and then, you know, medicines are introduced to that. I just think differently about how, you know, treatment can work for, for many different people or diverse treatment options and not just medicine, I guess. Um, so I've really had to rely on myself, but I hate that I'm saying that. And yeah, I'll be honest with you. Cost is a factor. And there were many people who said, you know, Michelle, call this number or see this therapist and or do this or do that. And then the dreadful, okay, how much is it going to cost? And to hear, you know, $120 for 40 minutes, $150 for an hour um, is kind of quite scary, especially when you're in a pandemic. But also, you know, when people are like, well, you can always ask for reimbursement, you go through this process and it's like, but why? Why is it so difficult to get that kind of care? It should be, as I had mentioned earlier, be a part of the care plan. And so for me, I think that for everyone out there listening, I think I'm very lucky. I think I'm so lucky that at least I've, I have my, my wife. I have you, John. I have the Commonwealth Club who's behind me. I have a community who's behind me um, because I was really just, what's what's the saying, you know, when you're pushing yourself to the extreme brink? Uh, I I shouldn't be here right now the way that I was operating. You know, I was not sleeping. I was not eating well. I was doing all kinds of the, I had all these thoughts of, in, in par, of paranoia and uh, just thinking like, I just remember like just the worst thinking of the worst case scenario over and over and over. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I was able to overcome that with the help of folks around me. Okay. Some quick lighter questions. Did you buy a lot of cool hats? <laughs> you know, I have collected so many free hats from pride celebrations, right? <laughs> so it was funny. Uh, I started to wear these hats that I was like, I'm never going to wear these or where am I going to wear to? But I started walking around with, you know, Apple rainbow logos or uh, Twitter logo hats. Or I think there was even one um, hat where it said, you know, it, it was from uh, a group, the intactivists. In, in and it would, and then in the front, it would say something about a penis on the back. It said something about a vagina. But whatever, it was all free. <laughs> okay, so are you glad you at least don't have to worry about hat hair or bad hair days, windy days, finding a comb? Or do you look forward to getting that again? I do, I do. I liked my hairstyle before. Um, it was very me. And I love my hair wizard, my stylist, who also was a source of comfort and was so incredible and so amazing. You know, and at that time, everyone in the salon industry was not working. And so she would send me messages like, hey, we might be opening up again. And then I had to tell her, like, I, I mean, I will donate to you. I just don't have any hair. This is happening to me. And so she she actually was the one who gave me recommendations for wigs, um, where to get them, because I talked to her about how they don't provide them at the store, at least for somebody who's gender non-conforming. And, um, and also just stuff like oils to keep my scalp hydrated and all that stuff. So I do look forward to going back and seeing her and having hair for her to play with because every time I step out of her chair, I just feel super cool and super queer again. And I, I love it. I love 
looking like a queer person. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other side, yes, it is so much easier to not care about the hair. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my wife uh, loves it, actually. And there's been, there have been people who didn't even notice that I was going through this. They thought that it was a fashion statement or it was my thing or I liked not having hair. And, and so I appreciate all the comments of folks who say, hey, you look good without hair. <laughs> I, I once worked with someone, this was 20 years ago in New York, and uh, he was a bit younger than me. And he, was, he knew he was losing his hair and he was dreading it. And I said, well, why? You know, obviously at that time I was already bald. I didn't care. And he was like, well, you're lucky. Your, your head's a good shape. He's like, I know my head's kind of misshapen. It's going to look really stupid when, it, when I'm bald. Um, so when you were wearing the wig, did people know it was a wig? Did you, would you have cared if people looked at you strangely if it was a wig? If, did they, anyone ask you, is it a wig? What was that like? I really honestly um, wore the wig mainly for the show. So, oh. you know, I was on Zoom. I think a couple of you guys were like, oh, yeah, hey, new hairdo. <laughs> Uh, but, but I had always, you'd always created a space for me to be comfortable being honest. So everyone knew what was going on, but when I did wear it out, um, for the very few times, yeah, people were just kind of one, like, it was like, how did you get that? Cause the way that my hair, the hairstyle that I had before, you know, it was cropped on the side anyway, and then longer bangs, but this wig was more hair everywhere. <laughs> Um, my mom loved it. My mom loved it. Really? Yeah. She would love to see me in, in more wigs because it was more hair than I, than I actually had before I started losing hair. Uh, she's just like, you know, you, you look like a, you look like, like Ellen or something. If you were to be gender non-conforming, like you should look more like a girl gender non-conforming. Um, but she's, she's great. You know, she, I, I really appreciate the Asian mom and uh, and her prayers and reaching out to all those monks for me because I think that, that that also all helped. Well, it's interesting when you were talking about her talking to uh, uh, you know Buddhist monks and talking later about you know trying to find uh, therapists who are affordable and such. And I, I I think for millions and millions of people, their pastor, their rabbi, their 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 temple leaders and such, those have been the people they've gone to and kind of gotten that need to talk to someone intimately about, you know, their, their, their life, their, their philosophy, their, their, their problems. And uh, I think maybe as, as those kind of relationships have broken in a lot of ways or have thinned out, people have then kind of looked to, you know, the professional therapist community and in many ways, I'm sure there's there's upside and downside, right? These people who are trained and, and such, and whereas pastors and, and other clergy maybe have some training, but that's not their whole thing, you know. They're also worrying about the the institution keeping its, you know, financial solvency and, and gaining congregants and stuff like that. Um, but having someone you can talk to about, uh, you know, the stuff inside your head is is really important on, and kind of almost wherever you can find that. Um, and yeah. So, so you haven't gone the therapy route 
would you if it if there were a sudden you know uh, if it were included in your your health care uh, coverage would you go back or would you look elsewhere yeah yeah i absolutely would i mean the reason why i stopped was because of financial stuff um you know it have i have a a wife from a different country and i have to think about things differently and kind of what care looks like for us especially as two women one you know being an immigrant um so yeah I, that, I would love to, 2021, 2022, as we get out of this pandemic, I think that we've done enough programs at the Commonwealth Club in looking at kind of what the shortfalls were in the health industry for all of us as people were going through this pandemic. And the fact that the CDC was telling people not to get masks because we just didn't have enough PPE uh gear for our doctors and our frontline workers, that's a, that's a problem. I hope that we never have that problem ever again. Um, but I think that that also affects the way that people, it affects your mental health. And I hope that people realize this. There's so much that we can do when we talk about being healthy and being whole. If we started looking at everything as if that was the first thing or that was part of the care plan. And it not being this really hard thing to do, even if it's like all these forms that you have to fill out. Why do you have to fill out so many forms? And also, there's so many companies right now that are starting to ask, what can we do for, you know, our our workers who are now coming out of a pandemic or who are experiencing racism and all this injustice that we're talking about? Um, I hope that mental health is part of what they're asking, you know, themselves. And what can we do for our employees? And it being safe enough to where there's there you're not being uh, possibly retaliated for if you're searching for that kind of help or this idea that you're less than or not as talented if you need mental help. Anyway, that basically is um, is kind of what I want to say. Sure, the doctors can say that there's no real big link, you know, between stress and the triggers of something like alopecia. I personally refute it. I do think that stress, especially environmental factors, um, the stress from some of the, the wrongdoings of like humans, uh, does absolutely can have an adverse effect on your body. One of the other uh, connections that, that doctors do say that, that their research shows that people who, who do have this condition, um, it, the risk of developing it is particularly high in people with asthma, hay fever, thyroid disease, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this correctly, vertiligo, um, pernicious anemia, and Down syndrome. Um, do you or anyone in your family, have they had any of those? It's kind of those. Uh, yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier, so my aunt passed away of lupus. Um, and then for myself, yes, we uncovered, you know, that, that I have some <laughs> I'm like, wait, do I really want to tell the, the world? Uh, no, but my, I had really low iron uh, levels, so iron deficient, and then also uh, anemia and, um, you know, some stuff around that. Um, so just so you know out there, too, So which is why I really take a lot of vitamins now. Like it's part of, like, after, you know, meal, I make sure that I'm taking these multivitamins. That was another thing I forgot to mention in my whole treatment stuff is that, yes, diet matters, getting enough sleep, exercise, and vitamins. 
Um, so I'm going to read a paragraph from the Harvard Medical School. In more than 90% of cases, hair grows back and fills the bald spot within one year, even without treatment. However, recurrences are common, and most people have several episodes of the disorder during a lifetime. Despite treatment, about 7% of people experience prolonged large areas of hair loss with little hair regrowth. Um, so assuming this happens again, maybe, I, I have no idea how frequent the, the recurrences might be, maybe five years, 10 years from now or something, it happens again. Do you think you're in a better place to handle it? Yes. Or you will? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I'm also, you know, changing my lifestyle too. I, like I was saying, I was really pushing myself to the maximum during the pandemic. And I was worrying a lot and doing a whole lot of things that, probably added to, you know, how stressed I was and all the other stuff. You, you asked me like what personal things might've been going on dealing with, you know, the documentation of my wife, but losing family members to COVID-19, um, the, uh, the politics of the country. And there were just so many things that I could think of that what made it so hard to get through the pandemic. But then if it happens again, yes, I will be prepared and, and uh, yeah, you know, shave the head, whatever. That's totally fine. Uh, if you can tell, I mean, the hair's growing back, but the sides or the temples are still light. Um, or, uh, yes. So the front here is still light. So I don't even actually know if it's going to grow back all of it. Um, so we'll see. I might just have this shaved head forever if that's the case. It doesn't grow back all the way. So uh, especially, I think, as a result of this, as people start listening to this on podcasts and see the videos later on YouTube, you'll probably be hearing from other people with, with questions. Um, besides the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, are there any resources that you would suggest or direction you would give people, either if they or someone in their life is, is going through this condition? Yeah, the, the foundation actually is really great. It's uh, They've got everything, including the clinical trials. Um, just very quickly. I mean, I think the dermatologist had offered me steroid shots or oral steroids uh, or UV light, you know, or some of that stuff. And of course, you know, Rogaine. Uh, but I didn't want to do the steroids because they screw up your immune system anyway. But I read about JAK inhibitors um, and I'll say it wrong. It's uh, Janus kinase inhibitors, but they're, it's an anti-inflammatory um, chemical that sends messages to the disease in, or, you know something like that <laughs> not a doctor or, or scientist uh, but they're on there i think there are some clinical trials that's on its third phase which is uh, you know good news and 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 there's been some people who've actually recovered who had no hair for like a decade who grew hair from these clinical trials oh. Uh, but there's there are also alopecia groups on on Facebook that really helped me. Everybody's sharing, you know, everybody had a different way of handling it and That's doing things, and so them sharing was really helpful. Were there any things that other people were sharing that they were doing that you're like, oh, I've got to try that? Or, um, um well, I think it was more around like um, like if you had no hair, so people talking about you know wigs. Mm -hmm. uh, that you, wig shops you can go to. And also like if you lost your eyebrows and your eyelashes, which was, I was starting to lose them, but I didn't lose them all the way. 
but you know, yeah, they have this stuff. They have stuff that you could do to pencil in or stencil, you know, eyebrows and eyelashes. Um, and then yes, caring for your scalp is really important. I forgot that I can't just walk outside, you know, and think that I'm not going to get sunburned or it's not going to get irritated, but all the oils. Um, I learned that, you know, the hair loss industry is $3.3 billion. So there are a lot of things out there. And if it's the best advice I can give you, which I got from everybody else, uh, really just listen to yourself, be okay with yourself. And what makes you feel good is more important than uh, going out there and trying a bunch of stuff. Well, very good. We have time for one last question. So um, be honest. What's it like to be the interviewee for once and not the interviewer? It's much harder. <laughs> Because I'm constantly thinking about what is it that I want to say. Um, and I, what I love about what I do in interviewing folks is I'm learning from them. And I ask questions because it, sincerely, I want to know. And so I always leave a program feeling much smarter, you know, because I'm interviewing all these incredible people. But being interviewed, you just feel like you're saying the wrong thing or... <laughs> or I missed something that I really wanted to get out there. Uh, but thank you. This was fun. And to be honest with you, it had to be you to interview me. Uh, you know, I don't think that I would have been so honest and upfront. Yeah. We were going to have Piers Morgan do the interview, but, uh, for some reason he was unavailable at the last minute. So I was happy to step in. Well, thank you, Michelle, both for doing this interview and for being you, for being open about this stuff, being willing to be vulnerable and share this stuff. Cause I think that really helps people to, again, to see that, okay, I'm not the only one going through this, or I'm not the only one going through something similar to this. So thank you for that very much. Thank you to uh, you, the Commonwealth club, you guys are definitely behind me and made me feel really good. But all of you out there who tune in who watch, love you guys. Yes. So if you're watching here or listening to this in a podcast, you can find more programs. Michelle Miao does a new program about every week, sometimes even more often at the Commonwealth Club. You can find them all, both future and past, at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. So thank you, everybody. Have a good rest of your week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and take care. Mm -hmm.